The American Council of Blind Lions, ACBL, is the affiliate that roars, and that's no lion. ACBL holds monthly conference calls and ACB convention events that help people who are blind or visually impaired become more involved in local Lions Clubs. Find out more. Call 502-897-1472 or email lions.acb at gmail.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. And good morning or afternoon, everyone, depending on where you are. My name is Christy Crespin. I am coming to you from Highland, California on November 2nd, and we are discussing the Unseen Minority, A History of Blindness in the United States, copyright 1976 and 2004 by the American Foundation for the Blind. And the author is Frances Female, F-R-A-N-C-E-S, initial A. And the last name is Kestler, K-O-E-S. T-L-E-R. The book is available in the old 1976 version from Bard uh, and in the, the newer 2004 version from Bookshare. And uh, so this morning with us, we have uh, Larry Gassman streaming. Thank you, Larry. And Diane Scalzi as the host. And so, Diane, if you could give us the particulars, that would be wonderful. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> so, if you want to raise your hand, the commands are um, Alt-Y on the PC, Option-Y on the Mac. Uh, in the lower right corner of your smartphone, you'll find a More button, and you'll swipe until you reach raise hand and double tap. Uh, on the touchtone phone, it will be star nine. And then um, to unmute, the commands are alt A on a PC, uh, command shift A on the Mac. Uh, it will be in the lower left corner of your screen on the smartphone, and on the touchtone phone, it will be star six. Thank you very much. And yep, back and to you. Thank you. And don't forget the got it button. You got you to gotta yes. get the got it button to get it. They are being <laughs> recorded. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, uh, so uh, I'm really um, excited to start this new book discussion, and I know some people have read some of the book. Some people probably have read none of the book, and that's okay. We'll we'll get your appetite whetted. And uh, and some people have read through chapter seven. Uh, and I did read through chapter seven last week. And as I reviewed this morning, <laughs> I found out a couple of things. Um, so number one, I thought that the book on Bard was the 2004 version. 
and found out that it is a very uh, cloudy, scratchy, noisy recording of the 1976 book. So hopefully we can get that remedied um, and find out why Bard doesn't have the 2004 version of the book on Bard. Wouldn't that be awesome if we can get that on Bard? Um, so, so a lot of people did not get to read or hear um, the uh, the 2004 forward by Carl Augusto, and there's also um, some information that was added in two thousand in the 2004 edition that is not available on the Bard version, uh, some timelines uh, of events and things. So uh, I'd kind of like to find out, since we're starting this new book, who's on the call and what, maybe how far you've read, are you reading the Bard or the Bookshare, and what you would like to um, glean from this discussion. Okay, Chanel has her hand up. Okay, Chanel. Okay, hi. I am through, I've read through chapter three and I started chapter four and I honestly didn't know what the book would be about. I, I know you've probably talked about it before, but I forgot. So it's neat to learn about the American Foundation for the Blind. I think that's kind of what they're, where this is going. And um, I just really like some of the, like I really enjoyed getting to the part about what was his name? Robert Irwin and kind of his mm. philosophy of yeah. blindness. And um, it's just neat to learn about the philosophies and, and how we still struggle, grapple with the same issues today, you know, pensions. Um, Herbie and I have had a discussion before about, you know, colleges for the blind, should they exist? Uh, so I just think it's really neat to still be talking about some of the same issues and hopefully our understanding has broadened. And there we go. Thank you, Chanel. Anyone else? No. Yes, there is. Oh, Larry. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop in terms of what I'm going to get from this book because I don't know. I went through chapter three and the scratch put me to sleep when I tried oh, no. to read it. I just, I got to the point where I said, okay, come on, it's going to get better. I'm waiting for it to be an espionage thriller book and it's not going to be that. And I understand that. But it is, because I like history, I am interested in, in knowing what the history was of AFB before I was born, and I got a feeling eventually I'm going to get there, but I'm not there yet, because I've gotten through maybe part of Chapter 3, uh, maybe into Chapter 4 a little bit, but but I'll probably go back now and read it all over again once I download Bookshare, because and, there'll be some I changes. Yeah, I'm going to have yeah, to do I that. Yeah, I did that, and... and it's kind of how it's kind of a slow starter, and the more you get into the book, it's like, oh my god! Oh, I'm not there yet. Then I just kept saying that, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. But it is interesting because no matter the, how things change, they remain the same. No matter what we do or where we are specifically headed, and you find out in this book as well that some of the same things they were arguing about in the 20s, 30s, etc., we're still dealing with today. Maybe slightly different, but in essence, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Roberta. Roberta. Good morning. Good afternoon. Um, I'm Roberta. I live in Michigan. Um, 
Good I afternoon. <laughs> have I was I was caught up in a David Baldacci book. I just finished it, cool. so I just started reading the Unseen Minority. So I'm I'm looking forward to learning more about uh, history. is just fascinating to me, and I'm interested in finding out. Um, I guess more of a, I'm hoping a, a well-rounded, um, I guess, well-rounded, I'm hoping a well-rounded perspective of how blindness has been dealt with throughout history. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Okay. And are you reading Bookshare or Bard? I'm reading Bard. Oh, everybody needs to purchase Bookshare. It's 50 bucks. It's worth it. <laughs> I can't keep up with Bard. <laughs> yeah. Bookshare, especially if, if you student, have a Victor product, it's so worth it. Ah, okay. And thank, and thanks for doing this call. Oh, you're I, welcome. I enjoy it. Hey, Nellie. Hi. Nellie. Hi. Um, I was going to say that if you are a student, Bookshare is free. So um, if you're a student, you might want to explore that that option because they have a huge amount of titles um, available to you. Um, I um, found the beginning of the book uh, pretty boring, but I am interested in history, and I am particularly interested in the history of uh, veterans in the of the various wars and uh, the especially veterans with uh, disabilities and it was um, uh, surprising to know that there were so many I was interested in the statistics of how many um, people who fought in the World War one uh, were blinded and that the European countries had many more blinded than uh, the Americans did. But then again, we were very late going into that war. And so the the reduced numbers probably had to do with the fact that we got in very late. And, uh, uh, and then the plight of, of individuals afterwards, because nobody knew what to do with them. There weren't really very, you know, little or no services um, O&M had not been invented yet. Um, there were no um, adequate training centers for people to learn how to cope with blindness. And it all was uh, in the process of being invented. So uh, so following the trail of what, what happened and how things developed uh, is uh, very interesting to me. Thank you. And you're reading the Bookshare version, right? Uh, no, I'm, I, I, I still have to sign up with Bookshare. Oh, no. But I am. I, this, this is giving me the incentive because the quality oh, good. recording is gross. Awful. It's awful. <laughs> I have to say. So I will definitely do it. Thank you. Yeah. And, and what chapter did you go up to? I, I went up to chapter eight. Okay, you did. Fantastic. Yes. So, so you got to read about Helen Keller 
Oh, yes. And, and uh, I, I found that some of that stuff to be pretty interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, you know, um, Helen Keller, um, she was um, a woman so ahead of her time. Yes. Thinking and in her actions. And uh, uh, PBS has a one-hour uh, program about Helen Keller. Um, I just saw it last week, but they usually recycle their programs. So if you get PBS, look for the Helen Keller documentary. It, it tells um, a great deal about who she really was and uh, some about um, Ann Sullivan Macy and uh, basically, you know, the life that, that Helen Keller lived. Uh, it, it's very fascinating. Including the tidbit that John Macy left Ann Macy? I was surprised about that. Yes, and the other uh, sad thing that um, Helen fell in love and and she had um, somebody who was uh, a very good prospect of a husband for her and uh, her family and, and uh, John Macy, all of them were opposed and uh, so she broke it off. Yeah. And that was tragic because she never married. Yes. Okay, uh, back to Chanel. Okay, Chanel. Yeah, I just wanted to say, speaking of the Bookshare and uh, student membership, so when it used to be when you took classes from Hadley that that qualified you for a student membership. Um, It renews on a yearly basis, and I think... That if you still attend, you know, a certain number of Hadley workshops, you may be able to get a free Bookshare membership. I've also heard that some of the Library of Congress NLS libraries offer a free membership, certainly not all of them, but it's not, worth checking yeah, out their ours. library. Yeah. No, not ours either, but yeah. some of them do. So yeah. anyway, um, Bookshare is an amazing resource and I just want people to be able to take advantage of it. And very worth it. Even if you pay $50 a year, it's worth it. It is. Yes. Okay. Anybody else? No. Okay. Um, so, um, According to the foreword by Carl Agosto in 1971, the American Foundation for the Blind um, commissioned Francis A. Kessler to write uh, a comprehensive history of the... Okay, so I'm being told that somebody is saying that um, the ID is invalid, so I don't understand. Um, you mean so, something on the call here? No, something. Yeah, yeah, no, they're trying to log trying in. To get in. They're trying to log in. We all got in, so yeah, that's yeah. not yeah. true, so I'm not sure what's happening with them. Well, if people... If, if they um, have their ID and password, they might try and log in that way. And see well, the problem works. is sometimes when we copy a link, it doesn't copy the whole thing and then it makes it an invalid that's yeah. true. I think that's it, what it doesn't happened. wrap around they, yes, that's true and they they need to go to um the ACB events email and just and click on to, the word it'll have the name of the call there. yeah 
and it'll launch. So yeah, go to the, the community schedule, not the link that Christy sent, and see if it makes a difference. Yeah. So um, so anyway, um, so Francis A. Kessler was was uh, um, was uh, asked to write a, a comprehensive history of blind and institutions that supported them in the United States. And although um, intended to commemorate the uh, 50th anniversary of the AFB, the resulting publication, The Unseen Minority, A Social History of Blindness in the United States, made its own distinctive mark in the world. And it's true because so many books used, including People of Vision, uh, used references from this book. Um, So published in 1976, The Unseen Minority uh, became the first recipient of the C. Warren Bledsoe Award presented by the American Association of Workers for the Blind in 1977. Francis Kessler, a writer, editor, and public relations professional of wide experience who became editor of the Matilda Ziegler magazine for the blind in 1978, herself received great recognition and many accolades over the years for her achievement. And Frances um, dedicated this book to her father, who had uh, been blind, legally blind, uh, the last 25 years of his life, and totally blind for the last eight, and to uh, Francis's mother, who was a sighted woman who, she said, allowed her um, her dad to live uh, with dignity and, you know, basically helped him to live independently and, and with dignity. So she, Francis was honored at a special um, ceremony for the United Nations. International Year of Disabled Persons in 1981 for her outstanding contribution to the literature on, for, or about disabled and received the Francis I.S. J. Campbell Award from the American Library Association in 1985. So, Frances um, died in 1992. It's really too bad that we don't get to know more uh, about her and from her. And this is not the only book she um, wrote or published, although it is the only book on Bard. Um, And she um, she, uh, published in the social work realm 
Um, and I really believe that if people are studying social work, they need to uh, look at this at at this book. Um, so another part of this says many years have passed since the initial appearance of the unseen minority um, and the early praise that greeted its publication. Another century has begun. The David McKay Company, the original publisher of the work, was acquired by Random House in 1986 and the and Francis A Kessler died in 1992 but the story told in the unseen minority is one that should not be forgotten the early struggles and milestones that marked the history of blindness field are an important part of social history of this country and a rich source of information and inspiration to individuals who are blind or visually impaired and those who live and work with them. Um, so AFB was in danger of um, of having this book go out of print. So they decided to update it with a new forward and add um, more uh, information. This new version of the unseen minority includes additional useful appendixes containing um, outlook timelines of critical events in the field of blindness and visual impairment um, compiled for AFB's foundations series of textbooks. Um, The reader will find chronologies from foundations of education, foundations of low vision, and foundations of orientation and mobility that will help them trace developmental landmarks that have taken place since the unseen minority was published almost 30 years ago and this was in 2004 so here we go we're almost 30 years ago again um During the three decades that had passed, um, a rich and complex chapter of history of our field has taken place. The The following list is only a sample of trends and issues that have shaped the lives of people who are blind or visually impaired that Kessler was not yet able to describe. And the list includes the increasing power of influence 
of consumers, yay, the passage of the Education for All Handicapped Children Act in 1975 and its subsequent um, evolution into uh, Individuals with Disabilities um, Education Act idea, which we talk about today, the encouragement of other far-reaching civil rights legislation such as the reauthorization of the Rehabilitation Act and passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, the change in perspectives on the usefulness and importance of Braille and its instruction, Uh, the transformation of many residential schools into state educational hubs um, and learning centers, the movement toward generic as opposed to disability-specific services, the critical shortage of funds and uh, trained Personnel, personnel in low incidence programs, the recognition of the importance of services for individuals with multiple disabilities, the rise of uh, and growth of assistive technology that wasn't even thought of when this book happened. So um, that's why if you can get the Bookshare version, it's really, really important to do that. So this, um, this forward was written by Carl with a C, R. Augusto, A-U-G-O-S-T-O, who was then president and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind. So um, I know that now we're sort of, um, if anyone's read the, the, um, the first forward by Francis A. Kessler, um, what kind of comments do you have regarding um, basically what you've heard so far? And doesn't it make you wonder why nothing's been updated? Okay, we have no raised hands. Oh, no raised hands. Who am I going to call on? (laughs) So who's going to write our history now? If you notice, you know, the, the People of Vision book was written in 2003. This one was updated in 2004. Um, the, the, uh, the NFB histories, you know, I, I don't know if there's a later version, but what I saw was back in the 1990s. 
are we still the unseen minority? Yeah, we still have no hands. Um, ah, Beth has her hand up. Hi, Beth. Hello. Hello. Hi, Beth. I would still say, I would say that we're still the unseen minority. Um, and uh, I think these proponents of mainstreaming thought it all was going to be okay. Um, and that's why. I think that's one reason why they haven't written the rest of our history since 2000, whatever, 2004, you know. I, for one, did not like mainstreaming in this country. I liked it in the UK, but I did not like it here. Mm -hmm. The kids were very rude. I did like it in a way because I learned how to fight like <laughs> a sighted boy. <laughs> All righty then. Okay, we have um, Nelly. But I, I still think that that we sh somebody should write our history from the two thousands on. You know. Okay. Thank you, Beth. Go ahead, Nelly. Um, I, I think that uh, we're the ones who need to write the history. Um, we are the ones who are living it now. We are the ones who have been um, around, um, you know, for a number of years. And uh, uh, it's really important that that happen. Um, I'm thinking about people um, in CCB that I know um, who write well and who have been around for a long time, such as Judy Wilkinson. Um, I imagine that she has uh, a lot of history that she can um, lay hands on. But then there are many of us who have parts and pieces of it that we can share. And um, it might be end up being a collaboration. I don't know what that would look like, but... Um, it definitely needs to happen. Thank you. Anyone else? Herbie. Oh. Herbie. Herbie. All right. So hey. I should feel embarrassed here because I am a history major. So um, I should maybe be the next one to write our history. Um, but... I have, I mean, first of all, I completely agree with Nellie that it should be us writing a lot of our history because if we wait on somebody else to do it, then you know, nothing's never get done. But I, you know, it's just thinking about it. There's probably so much to cover. And, you know, from a history writing perspective, I'm thinking about, you know, just the fact that there's so much material out there we could get our hands on. I mean, and where do you begin? Do you write, um, you know, from the 2000s onwards, do you include the COVID era or do you stop at the COVID era? You know, how about writing a history on the ACB community calls alone? I mean, just the stuff that's been, you know, it's got to be a massive amount of data on those just with, you know, archives from the email list, on the calls, podcasts. I mean, 
we've been active for what about a year now since April. So you know, do you include that as its own separate thing, or just part of an ongoing book on how have blind people handled the COVID situation? I mean, there's so much that can be done, so many angles to look at, so much material to draw from. It's overwhelming. But if you think about it, you know, between blogs and Facebook posts, there's a lot of personal writing out there already. And I mentioned the podcast too, because like, for instance, you know, uh, Beth, for instance, I'll pick on her for just a minute. We'll not pick on Uh her, but, um, you know, she participates a lot of my blind since birth calls and she's talked (laughs) about her experiences with the UK and versus the US and a lot of us have. So, you know, people can draw on experiences from listening to those if they're wanting to write a book. I mean, there's so much out there that <laughs> it's overwhelming. And that's why I think a collaborative project could really be more beneficial in the sense that give people a lot of little pieces to cover. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just how, as a modern writer, if you're writing a modern history, how do you handle, no matter what it is, just the wealth of information that is out there today? Because, you know, think about it. When you write stuff from 2003, you did not have, you know, blogging would have been a brand new thing for online blogging, at least. So Yeah, because they were still doing Messenger. Messenger bo- message boards, I mean. Message boards and stuff like that. I mean, those are not as public as like you know today's social media is so how do you handle the wealth of just i would say the torrent of stuff that is out there today to pick apart that's what i have to say on uh, that subject so thank you herbie hey chanel chanel Hello. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway, the community calls, they're awesome, have been going on for about a year and seven months, just so Mm -hmm. everyone knows. And I, my question, I guess I kind of come up with more questions than answers. I do agree with the collaborative approach, but when are we going to be part of the greater majority? When are we no longer going to be in the unseen mind? Will that ever happen? I mean, why, when are we going to be written in the history books as, um, Notably, no more than no less than our sighted counterparts for in contributing to our society. I think it'd be really great to see if somebody wrote a history or, you know, I, I shouldn't be saying somebody, but um, what have we contributed to mainstream history? I think that's just as e- an equal important question. So anyway, that's me. When, thank you. Wouldn't it be awesome if our, if our grandkids or our kids came home from school and said, hey, I learned about the organized blind. Did you know that in 1934, two organizations, the California Council of the Blind and the Pennsylvania Federation of the Blind, uh, what I say, Pennsylvania Federation of the Blind were, were formed in 1934? What would you guys do? It would knock your socks off. What? And... Um, uh, you know, in looking at the beginning of this book, it talked about how blind people were basically placed in out of sight. We talk about that in third world countries, it happens. But, you know, one of the things that I saw um, was that um, in in Asia, Countries in Asia, 
were more forward thinking in terms of blindness than we were in the United States or in Europe. And while we were hiding blind people and, and, uh, you know, um, putting them in asylums with, with the, the lower rungs of, of, of the population, um, the Asian, the Asian, the Asian countries were, you know, getting them into occupations. Now, that would be an interesting discussion, too, to find out, okay, today, since they were so forward-thinking back in the, you know, 1900s, um, what, what is the status of the blind person in the UK or in Africa or, you know, in the continental um, uh, era realms of of blindness are they any better off in Asia than they are in the United States or in Africa or South America or uh, Europe India how differently are we treated now and how much um, from what we read can you reprint today and it still be as fresh as it was in 1976 when it was printed. Okay, we have Herbie. Okay, Herbie. You know, so from what I have read, at least when it comes to blind people in the UK, I don't know that they are really that much better off than we are. I would say maybe the one major difference is that I have at least I now you can't can't judge from just reading other people's experiences, so I'm gonna make sure I make that clear and right. um you know, but I think you know sometimes they benefit from things like greater you know better public transportation um things like that, but I don't know if they are on the whole any better off than we are and what can really complicate things though that they probably didn't have to deal with as much back in the early 1900s is they are actually reliant on us for a lot of things like jaws for instance um you know that is licensed actually here in america and they have to you know they can and sometimes the uk licensing can be a little bit different or more expensive and things like so there's some reliance on us for some of their products that they do use for various things so that can play a factor um i don't know if the government pays for more things over there if they do than they than we do over here i would imagine if that's the case there's probably more of a waiting list um but and unfortunately i don't think sandra's on here because she could really speak to the uk blind mm-hmm. experience um maybe you could ask cindy for her contact or see if, go through cindy and ask if sandra could get in contact with you and we could get her you could get her on here and she could talk about what it's like to be blind in the uk that might be fascinating um and also thing. what they talk about in terms of does she know blindness history in the uk yep that i don't know yeah. um yeah. but and that's the only person I can think of off the top of my head that's familiar with these calls. So 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay, thank you, Alexa. Computer stop. <laughs> These reminders are important because I have a hosting assignment I got to run to. But yeah. um, anyway, um, I but you know I think they still. I I don't know if they are any better off or not, but I'd be curious to know a lot more things about like. I know, for instance, you know, they deal with, um, oh, another person that you could really tap into just by listening to this podcast is Jonathan Mosen. You know, he's in New Zealand and he talks a lot about his experiences over there. And in fact, they were just talking about how um, some things we take for granted over here now suddenly are going to become more commonplace in New Zealand, like um, Braille on elevators and buildings and public buildings. So... Um, they're now just getting like an actual disability service coordination thing to try to fix some of these things. And that's in, you know, like New Zealand. Um, I don't know what their history was like, but, um, you know, listening to this podcast, I mean, there's a lot of universal issues like Uber and guide dogs. So I don't, I don't know if it is that much different really, but I guess we need better perspective than what we read on social media. And we're coming up with more and more things like coming into, um, you know, how did blind people travel? Um, How many blind people really traveled independently, um, you know, in the 19, in the, well, we know they didn't travel very independently in the, uh, in the uh, 1800s. Um, the 19, early 1900s, but as buses came about, you know, is it easier now to travel or is it more difficult now to travel since, since 1976 and then since 2004? Because while we have more ways to travel, the buses have not really improved. In a lot of locations, I know, and especially when COVID came about, it was like, oh, good, we can cut back on all of our buses and, and, we, can, uh, and we can discontinue lines and, um, and we, can, we can practice more discrimination um, quietly as as what's what i'm seeing through um correspondence regarding um regarding lyft and uber um not all paratransit services are created equally and not all bus transit services cr- is created equally and how many of you travel independently in airports these days? Is it harder? Or do you think it's easier than when some of us were growing up? I remember going to, I, would, I went to Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. And I remember hopping in a taxi, going five minutes to LA International hopping on a plane, getting off in San Francisco or wherever, Sacramento, doing what I wanted to do and then hopping back on and coming home. I'd rather drive my car all the way, drive my car. I don't know how to do it, but it would take less time and a lot less effort than staying at an airport and waiting. 
I hate airport stays. I like the flights. I hate before. I hate afters. It's just, it takes way too much time. But it's easy. It just takes time. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, because trying to figure out where you go, trying to figure out, and I know we have Ira, which is wonderful. I'm going to be utilizing, I hope Sacramento Airport has a free Ira service. I don't know if they do or don't. I'm going to have to check, but I'm going to figure that one out. Um, but, you know, how, even though we have a lot more than they did, um, how much easier or how different is our history? Um, how, how much more do we count? Um, you know, thinking about the census. Do they in the census count blind people? Or people with visual impairments. Um, Christy, you have uh, two hands raised. Okay. Um, first is Beth. Okay, Beth. <clears throat> um, first of all, I think they do count. I'm hoping they do count people in the senses that are visually impaired. Um one time that I had to have somebody help me fill out the form, I did tell him, be sure and put that I'm that I'm blind. Because they said, well, we have to count these, you know, so that funding can come for, for different things. And I said, okay, if that's the case, be sure to put that I'm blind. And uh, as far as traveling, oh, I think it's a lot harder in a way now because, as you said, that gave the bus lines and um, different things, uh, different ways of transportation, uh, a way to kind of cut back now because of COVID. And then like the Greyhounds route, their bus is so terrible. They, I think they want to uh, discriminate against some of the little towns because supposedly they say, well, not that many people travel from there. But people still do travel from there. And uh, I kind of resent it because not everybody has a car. So, like, to go see my daughter, I have to go all the way from from here to, to, to where she lives. And the bus only goes three times a week. Coming back, I have to go all the way to Amarillo, wait in the bus station, and then and then um, wait in a, not in a bus station. A, it's open from right. to You know what I mean? It's the I'm open there. air because the bus station is closed right. from twelve midnight to six o'clock in the morning, and then come back to Alamogordo. I don't know why they rerouted it like that because it takes you completely out of the state mm. to just to go they make a four hour ride a thirteen hour ride so yeah I've noticed I, that I on think the it planes. is kind of and I haven't flown in years because well when they don't have a they closed our airport here in twenty fifteen. I don't know why. They had little commuter planes and then um and then they closed those in, in twenty fifteen 
So you have to either go to Albuquerque or to El Paso to get a to a big airport. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it is. And then the other people that I've talked to, I think it is very much harder to to travel. And then them doing away with the companion fares, I think those affected more than the blind people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we lost. We've lost a lot. Um, yeah. Some, thank you, Beth. Somebody else has a hand raised? Nellie. Nellie? Nellie? You'll need to unmute. Okay, here I am. <laughs> there you go. Um, yes, I can definitely uh, relate that now, even though there's all kinds of technology and all kinds of uh, paratransit, et cetera, Lyft, Uber, um, it's still harder to travel. I remember when I could take the um, bus um you know, from from Riverside to Ontario Airport and uh, Rapid Transit District, RTD. Um, And um, I learned the Ontario Airport inside out and backwards. I knew everything Mm -hmm. was there. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my work, I was able to acquaint some of my clients with the airport so that they could confidently go there and use it with a minimum amount of sighted assistance. And I remember getting on um, flights, going to Sacramento, and independently um, going out of the out of the plane and um, finding my way either to baggage claim or outside to public transportation, just using my guide dog and not having an assistant uh, to to help me with that. Whereas now, they they have changed everything. Ontario Airport is um, much larger and complicated. Um, um, the Sacramento Airport has grown into a huge monstrosity. <laughs> and and uh, you even have to take a train to go to the to the baggage claim area. And so it, I, I've learned part of it, of, you know, how to, depending on what terminal I'm in and how to, how to find that, that train. Because at one point at work, I was flying to Sacramento once a week. And uh, so I, I learned a lot about the new airport. But still, um, you know, uh, transportation is so much more difficult. Uh, you can't just, you know, take a bus at the airport that's either going to take you home or to your destination. You have to plan everything ahead or take shuttles or take, uh, um, you know, private taxis or whatever. So, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we've gained a lot, but uh, uh, we've lost a lot. Because we're still the unseen minority. Mm-hmm. Because the planning does not is not inclusive, and um, so we have about nine minutes left. And so, uh, for those people who have read 
um, through chapter seven. What would you like to to, to say about um, you know some of the the highlights or some of the things that you've read um, that feel the same or feel different? Back in 1921, when the American Foundation for the Blind was founded, it was the basically the first organization to um, to try to work and 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 I guess unite um, um, people who are blind and people who are in the field of working with and for the blind. Um, so it was a maverick organization. And again, I'm surprised they haven't updated their history because just even recently, what they've done is they've spun off a lot of what they did to other agencies such as the American Printing House for the Blind in thinking about Career Connect um, as one of the things that they they, um, I want to say siphoned off, (laughs) Um, you know, that they transferred um, scholarships, that they transferred. um, It's interesting to try to figure out what, what all does American Foundation for the Blind do today? Any comments? Okay. Um, we're at 153, by the way, and mm-hmm. no hands. No hands? Okay. So what would you like to read for next week? Would you like to stay on chapters one through eight so that or through seven so that everybody gets a chance to, to read it? Or would you like to move on? Um, to read, um, I'm going to look. Okay, we have a hand. Um, Li- Livy looks like. Okay, Livy. Hi. Um, I just wanted to let you know I did get in, and I will be getting the book tomorrow, probably from Talking Books. So, um, uh, don't if you can get it from Bookshare, get it from Bookshare. It's better. It's a it's a later version. Oh, really? Well. That's what they're sending me. So I don't have bookshare. So, okay. But um, I think you should continue because I want to catch up. Anyone else? No, ma'am. For the people that have read, we got one. Go ahead. Actually, we got two. Roberta. Okay, Roberta. Um, <clears throat> I'm in the camp of let's do this same section next week because it sounds like I only heard one person say they'd read it mm-hmm. uh, other than you. And um, uh, there, I know I would appreciate having a chance to um, actually discuss it. So, okay, thank you, Roberta. So I'm going to read the chapters, myths and Taboos, Myths, Taboos, and Stereotypes is Chapter 1. Five Days at Venton is Chapter 2. Talent Hunt 
is 28. And that talks about how they were trying to find their uh, the people to run uh, AFB. The second career of Major Miguel, M-I-G-E-L. Chapter 5 is the facts of blindness. So that's a statistical kind of information gathering chapter. Chapter 6 is beginning talking about Helen Keller, the perfect symbol. Chapter 7, action is our watchword. Um, And again, that is um, kind of still dealing with Helen Keller and some other kinds of things that are going on. Then we go to chapter 8, the language of the fingers. Um, Chapter 9, books for blind. Chapter 10, the talking book. Chapter 11, the beloved voices. Chapter 12, a share in the general welfare. Chapter 13, the showcase of blind. Chapter 14, the workshops. Chapter 15, the Magna Carta of the Blind. Chapter 16, the War Blinded, World War I. Chapter 17, the New Breed. Chapter 18, the Three-Wheeled Cart. Chapter 19, Mobility, Key to Independence. Chapter 20, The Watershed Years. Chapter 21, Little Things That Make a Big Difference. Chapter 22, One World. Chapter 23, The Birthright of Every Child. Chapter 24, The Ever-Changing Children. Chapter 25, The Loneliest People. Amen. Chapter 26, Open Channels. Chapter 27, The Road Ahead. And then it goes to notes and then timelines. And so you know what's forward in the book. So if you disagree with staying with chapters one through eight, uh, raise your hand. Okay, we have two hands raised anyway, and we got two minutes left. Okay, so we'll go ahead and get these two hands quickly. Okay, do you want the raised hands or? Yeah. Okay, Beth and then Chanel. And as I say, we got two minutes. Okay, so quickly. No, I don't. I don't disagree with staying with um, chapter one through eight. I That's what I was going to say. When I, okay. The other lady said that uh, she was in the same camp that okay. we should catch up. I agree. Okay. Thank you, Beth. Okay. Chanel. I think so. I, I like maybe continuing on. Maybe we just continue to chapter 10. Maybe so not, you know, we get a chance to catch up, but, and then maybe in the future divide our readings up like five chapters, but I don't know a week, yeah. but I, I don't know um, if that's feasible for people or not. Well, I'm looking in sections. So I would like, okay. to, after we move okay. on from all of this stuff, I would like to, ten seconds. you know, do seconds. Oh. So we'll stay with chapters one through seven. 
All right. Thank you.